Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We believe that God's Word transforms our lives. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right, as you're taking your seat, um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Guest services will put a Bible in your hand and turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 1. Pastor Mark was back, and uh, it was good to see him teaching again this weekend. Uh, Pastor TJ and I uh, met with him today, and uh, he's here, and then he's leaving again. And so he's going to Israel this time around. And uh, so we were teasing him. He said, it feels like I just got home from Israel, and here we are, years gone by, and it's going back. Someone said to him, do you have your Christmas message ready already? So, I mean, the year's flying by, isn't it? But um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, so turn there. That's the only place we'll be. We'll go through 17 verses. But I was thinking about Israel. I had had the opportunity to go in 2015 with Pastor Mark and another pastor. And um, when I was going through this uh, teaching, I don't know why, but God just put Israel in my heart. I pulled up my thumb drive and started looking at those pictures. And I'm going to share a few of those tonight. But you remember we've been going through Matthew um, and we were in chapter 4, and uh, remember that in chapter 4, remember Matthew was at the Sea of Galilee, and this is where he first chose um, his, his disciples. And remember, he called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, they were at the shoreline, they were fishermen. He says, remember, you know this, drop your nets and follow me. And they had to choose to do that. And then a little bit along the way, uh, remember that they picked up James and they picked up John. And so he has these four disciples with them and they begin to follow him. Now, I have a picture of this, if you can put it up on the screen. This is the actual place um, see a Galilee's right here, and it's kind of hazy. You can see very, very carefully, like the mountains in the background. And so the Sea of Galilee is kind of around these mountains, but this is the actual site, and those rocks that were there, those were found there. Those are dated back to the times that Jesus was there, and that's the shoreline right there. And so that's where he was, and it's a, a big area. Lots of groups were there, and uh, really need to stand there. Pastor Mark did a teaching on that, um, pick, put up the next screen, next picture. At the end of the teaching, um, there you can see the mountains a little bit better, and that's all, that's kind of how all of, of where we, when we read in the Bible, how there's like hills or mountains, and we'll talk a little bit about that more, but um, at the end of the teaching, he said, you know, go and spend time with the Lord, thank him for the disciples and, and their obedience to follow Christ, because had that not happened, had he not gathered obedient men that he taught for three years, three and a half years, then we wouldn't know the gospel today. And so we all found a rock out of the water and took that home. And, and I even pulled that out and put it on my monitor for the week when I was just studying and just really reflecting on um, just the obedience of man. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening. But in Matthew 4.23... After, this is immediately after he called his disciples and he gathered them. It's up on the screen. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So the question that I have tonight for you is, did Jesus heal everyone when he walked the earth? No, he did not. He healed some, he healed individuals, he healed masses of people, 
but he performed many miracles with that. And so that's a good verse to kind of highlight because there really were two things for Jesus's ministry. What they were is right here in this verse. The whole purpose of Jesus and his ministry on earth was to do two things, to proclaim the gospel, to seek and save the lost, to give the good news. And in that, he also healed. And we're going to talk about that. So I've asked you to be in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. And let's read it together. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And so remember, as we've been going through on Wednesday nights, we've been in from Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is where we've been. These kind of Wednesday studies have been like topical, haven't they? We've really hit a lot of topical things in our lives. And um, we've taken application from them. We've learned from them. And I hope you've been enjoying that. And Jesus is now done with the Beatitudes. It started in Matthew chapter 5. And he's done. He had a crowd up on the mountainside. He's done. And so he's now coming down this mountainside. And it says that a large crowd followed him. And um, I want to show you a picture of that. This is, um, this is up on the mountain. You can't see the background. This is a group that we had. We had about 53 people. And so we, uh, Pastor Mark asked me to teach on the Beatitudes. There he is way over there looking off. He must be bored or something. He's kind of not paying attention. But over, like they had this area, a cliff, and Right over that was the, you could see the valley and then the Sea of Galilee. So we're up pretty high. Put up the next picture. That kind of gives you an idea. It was a little bit elevated up more to where, where we were teaching. And that's exactly where Jesus was. And then you can see how it is. It doesn't look like a steep, but it was pretty steep to get down. It took a while to get back down to the Sea of Galilee. So you see that that's where he called his disciples. And then he made his way up to the mountain, and then people gathered there, and that's where he did Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So that's your uh, geographical teaching for tonight, and I hope hope you understood that. I always like to see the actual place when we read in the Bible. But it says that um, Jesus' ministry, think about this, attracted many people, but so did the miracles that Jesus did. And um, he demonstrated miracles for a reason and a cause. In fact, he performed many, many miracles. In the New Testament, Jesus taught, he performed 37 miracles that has been recorded in the New Testament. Do you remember what John, the book of John says at the end of, uh, the very end of the book of John? Does anybody know what John said? Paraphrasing? Anybody? You'll, You'll know when I, yeah, someone knows back there. John said that Jesus even did more than this, but he did so many things that we wouldn't have enough books to record it, right? And so we know that Jesus was always doing his ministry, but 37 miracles were recorded in the New Testament. I want you to understand, though, each miracle served a specific purpose, and none were performed randomly, none were for amusement, for himself, and none were really performed for show. Jesus wasn't about that. He didn't want to draw. He didn't want to draw people to himself because he was a miracle maker. He was, but that's not why he wanted people to follow him. And so, each miracle that he performed was accompanied by a message and two purposes. I've titled this teaching tonight "A Need Indeed." A Need Indeed. And so, 
the two reasons why he performed miracles was one, it met a serious human need at the time. Whoever was in front of him, if he saw the need for healing, he would, he would do that. He would heal them. And then the second thing that he performed miracles for is that he wanted to confirm his deity of who he was. And who was he? He was the son of God. Jews didn't believe that, did he? Did they? No, they challenged him. And so Jesus would often perform these miracles uh, to prove his deity. Well, that kind of backfired him on sometimes because you remember how many people would come to him and go, well, if you're the son of God, do this. Or if you're a son of God, heal this. Or speak to this and tell it to do this. Remember, they would challenge him. And they would come to him with the wrong heart, the wrong attitude. And that's part of the reason why Jesus didn't heal everybody. And he didn't perform more miracles that I think were recorded because that was not his aim. And so after studying the Bible, we know that sometimes Jesus, when he performed these miracles, sometimes he called on the Father, didn't he? He called on God's power to enable for that miracle to be performed. But also, he also uh, trusted and he relied on his, his own authority. Because remember, God said, I give you the authority. Now remember, Jesus transferred his authority to us, didn't he? You know that. You have Jesus Christ's authority and power. He says, you will go and do greater things than I. Anybody do anything greater than Jesus today? <laughs> yeah, you laugh. Me neither. But understand, we have the power to do that. And so we see that Jesus often relied on, on God to do that. Now, some of the most significant miracles, you know this, were he raised people from the dead. How many people did Jesus raise from the dead in the Bible? Anybody know? There you go. Yeah, someone, you're back. Three. Three. Okay. And so he rose from the dead. He had the power to do that. He restored sight to the blind. He casted out demons, and he healed the masses. But many of these miracles Jesus performed were often individuals. And that's what we're going to see tonight. And understand before we get into this in verse two, that the power to heal wasn't just for Jesus to do. When you look at the Old Testament, we find also that God healed his people in the Old Testament. And God has many different names as well. You know, the first name Jehovah, right? And so God has many names. Does anybody know what the name of healer is? Jehovah what? That's provider. Begins with an R. There you go, Rafa. Jehovah Rapha, it means in Hebrew, the Lord who heals. That's who God was in the Old Testament. God would Heal. Now, Jehovah Rapha, God, had the power to heal in many ways in the Old Testament, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. You can find this in 2 Kings, Psalm 34, Daniel 4, and Psalm 103. And we see that God also was into the healing business. And um, that kind of surprised me because we always say, well, you're Jesus, you could heal. But God also healed all throughout Scripture. So I want to ask you something. What do we know about Jesus's healings in the Bible. If I were to say to you tonight, I want you to think of one healing that you know the story. Can I, can I meet everybody there at that place? Do you have a healing in mind? 
So have that healing in mind. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make a couple statements. Think about that healing that you have in your mind, the story that you know where Jesus healed. And then I'm going to give you a disclaimer because I think Christians, I think we get this twisted around quite a bit. And what do I mean by that? Well, Christians believe that if I do this right, if I do this long enough, if I please God, if I pray enough, if I, if I serve enough, if I give enough, or if I have enough faith, all these things, we think that that's going to be equal to the power and the healing of Jesus. Come on. Do we sometimes believe that? Those are all good things. But sometimes we as Christians, we equal that behavior to the sovereign healing and grace of God. I'm going to say some things to you. You may, you may be astonished, but listen. This is how Jesus healed. He spoke and people were healed. He touched and people were healed. He spit and people were healed. He healed those who believed in him, and he healed those who didn't believe in him. He healed those who didn't even know who he was. He healed those with great faith, and he healed those with little faith. He healed those in the midst of his presence, and he healed those who were far away. That might shock some of you. But if you really go through and you look at the stories of how he healed, you will find that that will be a true statement. Hopefully, that relieves a few of you. Hopefully, that takes the legalism, legalistic approach out of what God wants to freely do in our lives at this point. And so you may say, well, Pastor David, what's your point? Here's my point. Write this down. First point I want you to write. I'm going to give you five, four points tonight. First one, Jesus has the power to heal people yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Here's the kicker. Don't put Jesus in a box. That's my point. Don't tell Jesus how he's going to heal you. Jesus will heal you when he wants and how he wants. Amen? Amen? Some of you are recipients of that statement. So remember that. Write it down. Put it on your fridge. So tonight, we're going to see in the verse, we're going to see three unique healings that Jesus performs. And here's the interesting part. None of them will be the same. We're not going to see any legalism. We're not going to see any of these people that dot all the I's and cross the T's in order to get this healing from Jesus. And this is the character of Christ. And I think it's important that we understand that. The first healing that we're going to look at, look at verse 2 in your Bibles. You're in Matthew 8, verse 2. Let's read it. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I want to talk a little bit about leprosy. If you're squeamish, go ahead and leave the room for five minutes. No, I'm just joking. But leprosy is basically a bacterial skin disease that was usually fatal in biblical times. Now, we have antibiotics and treatment for that. We have that in third world countries, uh, even to today. Um, in, in the poorer areas, the, the non-cleanly areas, the isolated areas where it actually, the bacteria travels. But we don't deal with that as much today. But in biblical times, if you got leprosy, 
you, you had a death warrant on you. I mean, there was just, it was, it was bad and it was fearful. And so this leprosy, what it is, is a skin disease. You may have known that, but it causes skin sores, nerve damage, muscle weakness, and eventually what happens is your muscles and your tendons have atrophy. And so someone with leprosy could kind of look like this. They'd just be all curled up. Their, hand, their feet and their hands would be like this. They'd kind of have a disformity. And then also the open sores would get so infected that it was even bad enough and known that people would lose their digits. They would lose maybe their toes. And it would just spread and they, would, they could lose a hand. And so this is what you see, and this is what the people saw. So there was no mistaking if you had leprosy because your skin color changes. And so what's interesting about this is that it was a horrific sight, but in Leviticus chapter 13, you can just mark that down, I'll read it or describe it. God gives instructions for what to do with people who have leprosy. And he says, if you have leprosy, you shall be declared unclean. And so they are to be publicly identified and isolated. Now, there were no HIPAA laws back then, okay? They, you weren't protected. It wasn't confidential. And, and so in verse 45, it says in 1345 Leviticus, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, and cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean, when they were to come around people. And so as long as they had the disease, they remained unclean. And so we see here that if you had leprosy back in the days, you couldn't even come within six feet of anybody. In fact, that was just in passing if you were going through a town. What they would do is they'd actually have you go outside of the camp, probably 10 to 20 miles outside of camp. You were not permitted to be around anybody. You weren't permitted to touch anybody. And you were definitely not permitted to go into the temple or the synagogues. So you have to understand this isolation. They were an outcast. And so think of the emotional baggage that comes with that. Any outcasts in this room, you ever feel that way? And this is what, and here's the sad part. This is how God's word was given to deal with them. Now, the problem with that is, is that even though it was a physical disease, it was also yoked in with a spiritual disease. Because here's what happened. If you were unclean, what they said, you got leprosy because you had sin in your life. And so there's this stigma attached to leprosy. I was thinking about that, and I was kind of thinking back in the 80s when AIDS first came out, and all the stories that you would have, and all the fear when that came out, because we were uneducated. How do you get it, and what can you just get it by touching somebody? And I was just thinking of the panic in the country, um, not for a, a specific stereotype group of people, but then even just across the board for society, and I'm thinking, we did go through that and there was definitely a stereotype with that and so we see that this is how this is how it impacted and God gave directions on how to hand that and yet look down in your bible in verse 2 it says a man with leprosy came and did what he knelt before Jesus and said lord if you're willing make me clean understand what it took for that person with leprosy to come before Jesus Christ. Who was around Jesus? Large crowd. That person had to come out of hibernation. He had to come out of seclusion and hiding 
and embarrassment. He knew he would be ridiculed, but the leper was willing to risk it all. And he comes into this crowd and he places himself before Jesus and he kneels. First point I want you to write down when we think about this, we must be willing to approach our Lord with boldness. With boldness. See, it took a bold person to come and do that. The leper knew by law that he should not be anywhere near Jesus, let alone anybody else. And yet he knew who Jesus was. And I can imagine that he's thinking to himself, if I can just get to Jesus, everything changes in my life. And he was bold and he was willing to do what it took to do that. And see, the leper came by himself despite the many discouragements that he probably faced and lived with for who knows how long. And he knew how terrible his problem was. And he knew that people had given up on him, casted him out, and he had no hope. In fact, think about this. Why would you come to Jesus? Because after all, this is at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, the Bible does talk about Jesus healing other lepers. In fact, in the book of Luke, later on in the book of Luke, Jesus healed the 10 lepers. You know that story? Only one came back to thank him. And Jesus, there's three places in the Bible where Jesus did heal a leper. But this is the first one. News hasn't traveled. Jesus wasn't identified with healing a leper. And yet the boldness and faith that this leper came and he said, you're Jesus. And I know you can heal. But the question that he had for Jesus was, are you willing? I, I think of the discouragement that sometimes we can be in in our circumstance, in our situation, when we need healing? Have we lost too much hope that we've lost sight of Jesus Christ? Have we lost so much hope and been so discouraged that we forget who our healer is and what he's capable of in our lives? Church, I'm looking at a room full of people. We have people that God has healed in this room. Can I get an amen and an applaud for Jesus? We have been healed and if you've been healed before by Jesus Christ and restored by Jesus Christ, he will heal you. Again, that's your Savior. And that's the same Jesus that this leper comes to. And he had no promise whatsoever that Jesus would heal him. In fact, he might have even been killed because it was against the law that he would be thrown out and driven out or stoned. The interesting thing is he had no no imitation from Jesus or Jesus' disciples. And I am inspired by this leper. And I think about, bless you, how bold we could be. And so the question, church, I have is, how do we look upon Jesus tonight in our lives? Whatever's going on in our lives, do we take the same approach to our Savior, Jesus, who is more than capable of doing anything? Are we willing to kneel at Jesus' feet for our situation, just like the leper did? Are we willing to risk everything when we tried everything, took every medication, tried to figure it out? Are we willing to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus with an expectation that only he can fix me, only he can heal me, only he, Jesus, can save me? Look how Jesus responds to this leper in verse three. Jesus reached out his hand and he did what? He touched the man. 
And he said, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Notice Jesus met the leper where he was at. Jesus didn't have to reach out, but he reached out and he touched the man. I can just picture this scene. Picture this, the crowd's around, they're watching, they're going, oh, it's going down. There's a leper sitting at Jesus' feet. He's Jesus. The believers are saying, he's Jesus. By law, he can't touch him. He can't do anything about that. God's word says what you're to do with them. And Jesus does something unthinkable, and he touches the man. Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. He could have spoke, be healed. He could have done anything. Could have healed him with a word. He could have just healed him with a thought. He could have had one of his disciples do something. I don't know, make a mud pie and throw it at him. <laughs> Someone got that. <laughs> Someone else got that. All right. Why did Jesus touch the leper? Here's what I believe. I don't think it's too far-fetched. You're that leper. You're casted out of society. You're rejected. When was the last time a human touched him? Jesus could have healed him. But Jesus did something greater. Not only did he heal him, but he touched him. How that must have felt, the acceptance and everything that comes with it. We're going to see in a minute that not only did Jesus minister to his real need, oh, he's healed, but there's a deeper need inside that he needed to do. We're going to see that he's even going to send this leper back into his culture and he's going to restore his reputation in the culture according to the word of God that was given by his father in Leviticus. But Jesus says, I'm willing to heal you. And immediately the leper was healed. See, in verse four, we're gonna look at Jesus then does something that he does often with what comes after a healing that he did. Look what he says here in verse four. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift, there's the Old Testament language, Moses commanded as a testimony to him. Now, why did Jesus tell him to go to the priest? Well, he did this for a couple reasons. See, this was earlier on in his ministry, and many would seek him. He says, don't tell anyone. Well, this is early on, as I told you. He didn't want people to seek him out for healing alone. Yes, there was a crowd. Yes, news would spread. They didn't have Facebook back then. But it would spread throughout the region. We'll see that through all the, out the book of Matthew, that people knew that Jesus healed. In fact, the reputation was already there at this point. That's why crowds were following him. But he also was very mindful. He did not want people to follow him for the miracle maker that he, that he was. He didn't want people to seek him for healing alone or the wrong heart or the wrong motive. And he didn't want people to seek him simply for him 
to be a puppet on display to prove his deity. You either believe or you don't believe. That's kind of what he said. You choose life or death. I'm sent by my father, and I only say what my father tells me to say. And this is what he kept telling him. And Jesus was very cautious about the multitudes and why they followed him. They didn't, he didn't want them to have a misunderstanding of the true nature of his mission, which I told you is to seek and save the lost. But Jesus says, but go show yourself to the priest. Why, why the priest? Well, if you look in Leviticus chapter 14, just write Leviticus 14 down right next to that. See, there's a spiritual significance of leprosy to those that were, they considered to be sin against God. Well, back then in the Old Testament, how did you get rid of your sin? You went to the priest, right? Animal sacrifice. That's exactly what they did. And in Leviticus 14, I don't have time to talk to you about it, but it, it, it says go to the priest and the priest would perform a ceremonial cleansing that reestablished the leper both physically and spiritually. Once the priest did this ceremonial cleansing because he was healed, then he would go to the priest. It met the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, which is the Israelites, the Jews. This is what they believed. And so now he's no longer an outcast, is he? He's not only been healed physically, but he's healed emotionally. He's been given a free fast pass back into the culture, back with his friends, back with his family, back with his peers. Ever been there? You had to recreate your reputation. And this man had a reputation that you couldn't be around him. And Jesus loved him so much that he restored his reputation as well. The second healing that I want us to look at is the faith of the centurion. Look at verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asking for help. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. And I want you to understand that this centurion was a Roman officer in the Roman army. He was a leader. And according to the Roman law, when a, and he was a master, he said, my, my worker is terribly sick. According to Roman law, a centurion master had the right to kill his slave once he became unable to work. And it was expected. This is what the Roman soldiers did. This is what the law was. And so they would just kill him. And Jesus is like, what's going on here? Why is this guy asking for his slave to be healed? He's impressed He's moved. And Jesus knew that that was an option that was very common. But today, this man comes to Jesus and says, would you heal him? Look at verse 7. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? He's intrigued. He wants to go to the location to see where he is. And once again, church, I think this is a clear picture that Jesus is willing to meet us right where we're at. He was willing to go and see Jesus, we sang the song on Sunday, Rachel led us. Jesus was willing to drop everything to, to reach the one. This is the heart and the character of our Savior. Next point I want you to write down, we must be willing to approach Jesus with humility. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
but just say the word and my servant will be healed for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me and I tell this one go and he goes and that one to come and he comes and I say to my servant do this and he does it and when Jesus heard this he was amazed and he said to those following him truly I tell you I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and I will take their and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only thing I want you to write down is that faith, Jesus was impressed by this man's faith. It wasn't even for himself. It was for his servant. The soldier understood that Jesus could heal with his word just as easily as a touch. And he asked Jesus, speak the word. And by faith, I believe that my servant would be healed. You know, David wrote this psalm, Psalm 107.20. It says, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now, I don't know David, the psalmist, but maybe David was talking about this very thing. Maybe it was prophetic as David was very prophetic and said many prophetic things before it happened in the New Testament with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Look what the result is of this man's faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. And I want to stop there for a minute, and I want to talk a little bit about what goes on after our services at this church. Any service could be tonight. We'll give that opportunity tonight, the weekend, Saturday night, Sunday morning. I think it's important to understand from this healing passage how important prayer is for others. It is so important to intercede in prayer for other people on behalf of our belief. And the truth is, is that sometimes we don't feel too faithful. Sometimes I don't feel like I have the faith of this centurion, but I know that Jesus heals. You agreed with me earlier on. And there has been miracles that have been performed in this church on behalf of prayer that has taken place right here or right there. And every once in a while, we as a church get a glimpse of that and we rejoice and we celebrate and it's huge. Where do we learn to pray? Where do we learn the power? That story right there. Don't ever be embarrassed to come up here for prayer at any time when God says you need to go forward to pray. Today, I was at the Melbourne campus. I had some meetings, and you may know Dave Allen. Dave Allen is Michelle, our director of productions. That's her boss, or one of her bosses. And I was in the hallway in production, and, and I was just getting a few things and finding out where TVs and all kinds of things are for the, fel- or for the children's ministry. And um, I, asked, I asked Dave, I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm okay. And I go, what's up? And he shared with me a story about his daughter, and his daughter's in great need of healing. And the first thing that I thought of, I go, what a coincidence. What am I teaching on tonight? And I pointed Dave to that passage. I said, you know, God is faithful, Dave. And he began to share with me all the details so that we would know how to pray. And then you know what we did, church? We simply prayed. His daughter wasn't with us. She wasn't in that hallway. But let me tell you, it was powerful when we prayed together for his daughter. 
Church, we need to be interceding for others in prayer. Not legalistically, not because we have to, but because we want to. Why? Because we know our Savior, the healer. Jesus chooses how he can heal. And so the takeaway of this is be challenged by this healing. Be challenged. Be ready to pray, even if you feel like you don't have faith that day. But be ready to pray. Listen. Tune your ears into the people around you. Don't be weird. Don't be the, like the super sister prayer warrior around here. Like, we don't want that tag. But you know what? God will bring you opportunities, whether you're here in church or whether you're at Publix or whether you're at Winn-Dixie or wherever you are, Giuseppe's, Strike Zone, Riverside Park. It doesn't matter. God will open doors. Be ready to step out. Be that centurion and intercede. There's power in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And when we pray, ask it in Jesus' name the name above all names. The third and last healing that I want us to look at is found in verse 14, very simple. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's, what? Mother-in-law. Yeah. Lying in bed with a fever. Now, man, I just want to stop and say, uh, before you see the response, no more mother-in-law jokes, okay? It's not biblical, It's not godly. Look at verse 15. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Remember, that region is where Jesus went from Nazarene to where he stayed. It's where they went back to that region where he found Peter and that's why that house was there. The last point that I want you to write down tonight is we must approach Jesus with a servant's heart. You see, Peter's mother-in-law, she didn't come with a name, but she received a healing, and I want you to see how she responded. She served her Lord Jesus. And church, I just want to talk to you about a minute with no judgment to anyone in this room, But as I was thinking that as as a whole in Christianity and churches today, I think this is something that is incredibly overlooked by Christians today. What do I mean by that? We receive our miracles, our freedom from bondage, our healings. We reap all that Jesus has and done and paid for us on that cross, but we're not so willing to do what Peter's mother-in-law did, and that is to come before him with a servant's heart and simply serve him. And so, like I said, this isn't to be a guilt trip, but what is the application that we see here from this healing? Those who have been truly touched by the power of Jesus Christ in their lives, how can they not have this bubbling up urge to begin to serve? It's not because we want to repay. You can never repay. Can anybody repay Jesus for what he's done in their lives? Good luck trying. I'd be emotionally, financially, and physically broke trying to pay him back for what he's done for my life. It's not about that. What it is about is the heart. Are you grateful for the healings, whether it's physical, emotional? What did he remove and heal from your life tonight, church? And what are you doing about it? Where's your heart? And I know there's many changed lives in this room And many of you are walking miracles of Jesus Christ. And we reach more than 37 in this church because I know you pretty well. 
and you know me pretty well. Praise God, amen? We serve simply because of the outpouring of gratitude that we have in our hearts. We rejoice because we know what Jesus has done. Last thing I do want you to write down, serving Jesus is wonderful evidence of being restored to spiritual health. Church, I really believe if you want to see the evidence of fruit, if you want to see the evidence of a true restoration, look around and see who's serving in the church. I, I challenge you. In fact, this week I challenge you this weekend, you see somebody serving, thank them and ask them why they serve. You'd be surprised. Look at verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And I end with this. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. You know, we just took communion this last weekend, and I simply say this. Jesus bore our sins. He took our inequities. He paid the cost on the cross. He took the stripes for us. Why? Because he loves us. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 10.45 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m.
I don't throw them away. Not happening. Not happening.